So the reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to chapter 3, verse 3. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting to read at verse 12. Ministers of the New Covenant. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Smells are funny things, aren't they? Same smell can, in the nostrils of one person, uh, be repulsive. Uh, but in the nostrils of someone else uh, be quite something else indeed, can be wonderful. Uh, If you don't believe me, let me give you an example. Um, One of my favourite places to visit is the Black Sheep Brewery in Massam in in North Yorkshire. Uh, Invariably, when we're driving up and down the A1 and it's it's opening time, then I'll inevitably suggest a quick detour so we can uh, visit and and, maybe stock up on supplies. Uh, Anyway, when you arrive and you get out of the car, the smell of brewing beer is quite overpowering. It's quite strong. I love it. Debs hates it. <laughs> you know, she holds her nose and gets into the, into the gift shop as quickly uh, as she can. To her, that smell is offensive, but to me, it is anything but. This is an image that Paul picks up on in, in the passage that uh, Annabelle read for us. Uh, unfortunately for Paul, um, black sheep ale hadn't been invented uh, back then. Um, but what he does say is that as Christians... We are the aroma, if you like. We are the the smell of of Christ. And that same smell of Christ is to some the sweet smell of life, but to others it is sort of a repulsive, vomit-inducing stench of death. So we need to take a look at it together. We need to figure out what's uh, going on. And if you haven't um, already um, opened your Bibles or reopened your Bibles, if you've got them with you, please do turn to 2 Corinthians uh, on your device, whatever it is you, you may have uh, with you. Uh, and as you're doing that, let me pray for us. 
Father God, this morning we once again ask that you would speak to each one of us through your word. Uh, Please, Lord, would you help us to concentrate? Uh, Please, would you give us soft hearts? Please, would you show us how we need to respond to what you are saying to us this morning? And Lord, we do thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, and we would ask that he does his work in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's just uh, remind ourselves of where we are up to. Paul, you will remember, um, he is writing. He's writing in response to a lot of personal criticism uh, that's come his way. He's too weak. He's always suffering. He's too unreliable. He can't be trusted. He he doesn't even preach very well. Um, And Paul's defense for for all of this is basically that's, that's okay. Because human weakness allows for God's strength. This is this theme that will continue throughout 2 Corinthians. Nevertheless, despite that, he still feels the need to justify why he did um, what he did, where he did it, you know, and, and what was going on, particularly with some of these, these travel plans, and we've been picking up on this. So this is, what, uh, this is where we are, verse 12, um, where, where the reading started. Paul says this. Now, when I went to Troas, which is this place in um, uh, north, uh, northwestern, what we call Turkey, uh, what we know now as Turkey, so it's in northwestern Turkey. Uh, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and, found, uh, and I found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. I find this a fascinating couple of verses um, for a couple of reasons, really. First, the Lord opened a door for Paul. He opened a door to preach the gospel in Troas. And yet, (laughs) despite this open door, Paul, because he has no peace of mind, doesn't go fully through it. He, He moves on. Fascinating. We use this phrase all the time, don't we, in, in Christian speak? We talk about open doors. I'm praying that the Lord would open a door for me. We use that terminology, don't we, quite often. Or we'll say, oh, well, I was, I was thinking this would happen, but the Lord closed the door. You know, it's, it's, it's familiar language. It's familiar terminology to us. I know when Debs and I were wrestling with the decision about whether to uproot our family from the, from the northeast and move to the northwest, we were, we were very much talking and we were praying using this kind of language of opening and closing doors. Paul is clearly saying here that despite the Lord opening a door, presumably, what did that look like? Presumably gospel work had begun, this open door, presumably people were becoming Christians, they were responding, maybe a church had even been planted. This was the, the, the sort of open door. Despite all that, Paul doesn't walk through it and he moves on. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay sometimes. Why? Because actually every situation we are in is an open door in one way we think of it like that every situation is an opportunity for faithful christian living and witness and it's not healthy for us to be constrained um, by an inaccurate picture of there only being one right door to go through i think that's part of what paul is saying here he's not saying look there's only one door that you can ever go through what he's saying is that despite the opportunity something else and he needed to go elsewhere why 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 do we hear that because actually he says he tells us i couldn't find titus (laughs) 
I couldn't find my friend. I couldn't find my brother. Now, Titus had been dispatched to Corinth, to the, to the church that uh, Paul is writing to. Uh, you may well remember that Paul had sent the Corinthian church a number of letters um, already before this one that we're looking at uh, in these morning services. Um, we don't have any copies of the first one, remember? Uh, then we get the one that we call 1 Corinthians. Then there's this third letter. Again, we don't have any copies of the third letter, but it's quite a harsh letter. It's quite a severe letter. It's referred to in R2 Corinthians. And Paul, because that letter was, was quite harsh, he's, he's anxious to hear how, how the Corinthian church has responded uh, to it. And uh, so he sent Titus uh, on, and it would appear that Paul had arranged to meet Titus in Troas to get an update. But, but Titus hadn't, hadn't appeared. He hadn't, he hadn't got there. Don't forget, it's not like Paul could just, uh, you know, send a quick WhatsApp or <laughs> get on FaceTime. Where are you? What's going on? How's it going? You know, it's a very, very different world. And so out of concern for the Corinthian church, Paul decides to move on from one open door and go and try and catch up with Titus. Had he failed? Had he failed in Troas? Must have been a question he was thinking. Would he go on and succeed elsewhere? What was going to happen when he got to Macedonia? I'm sure Paul was wondering if he'd let people down and perhaps even thinking, you know, am I doing the right thing? And I wonder if we sometimes find ourselves asking similar questions. Sure we do, don't we? Did I get that decision wrong? Did I get it right? What am I supposed to do at this crossroads in my life? Indeed, what does it mean to be successful or, or, or what does success actually look like? What does it mean to live the Christian life well, to, to do life and ministry faithfully? Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you are failing in, in the Christian life. Maybe your decision making has led you into a really difficult place. Maybe you're suffering from anxiety and, and a crippling fear of, 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 of not knowing actually what the next step should be. Maybe you're even doubting if you're going to get through today, let alone the rest of, the rest of this week. I'm sure most of us are we questioning from time to time, have we got what it takes? Really, have I got what it takes to, 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 to do this, to live faithfully for the Lord? Or am I about to be exposed as, as the fraud and the imposter that I feel that I am? Friends, if any of that rings true, remotely true, then rest assured you are in good company. You are in good company in this building, okay? You're in good company here because we all have thoughts like that from time to time. And you're in good company uh, in, in, in this book here because Paul experienced such thoughts. He experienced uh, questions himself and knowing how Christians feel... Paul shows the Corinthian church, and by implication us here, four things we need to remember, I think. Four things we need to remember when we're struggling, when we feel weak, when, in the world's eyes at least, you know, we are anything but successful. So here's the first one. Thanks be to God who leads us. By the way, there, there, there is a handout. Um, uh, some of you were given it on the way, and I think there might be some at the back as well. So if anybody wants one, there's a hand going up at the back just there. So just put your hand up, and we've got a few more. We can, we can pass around. These points are on the handout, um, and the text is as well. 
So the first thing that Paul would have us remember, thanks be to God who leads us. Take a look at verse 14. Paul writes this, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. (laughs) Wow, what an attitude. What an attitude from the pits of uncertainty, from this place of desperation, from despair, not knowing what to do. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? Do I stay? Paul is able to praise God. He's able to praise God for leading us in the victory parade, his victory parade. See, firstly, um, uh, and ultimately, faithful Christianity, faithful Christian living is about following, not about leading. It's about following the God who always leads us. Sometimes, though, we're we're prone, aren't we, to invert that. (laughs) We like to be the ones who lead. We like to be the ones who, who, who plough the furrow. We're the, we're the ones who want to take the credit for that as well. But it is God who chooses our battles. It's God who determines our paths. It's Christ who is the victor in this, not us. And he is the one worthy of all thanks and honour and glory and praise. Thanks be to God, Paul says, who leads us. Now, I don't know what image comes to mind when you think of a victory parade. Uh, maybe it's your favourite team um, on, the t- on the top deck of a bus. You know, they've won the league, they're going through the city, the crowds are cheering. Maybe that sort of image comes to mind in a victory parade. Uh, maybe it's an image from a film. Uh, if, if you are thinking of an image from a film, I'd suggest that you want to think something more along the lines of Ben-Hur than, than Star Wars. You know, if you've seen any of those films and you've, you've got sort of victory parade imagery in your mind, think more Ben-Hur than Star Wars. But it is actually really important that we get this image right that Paul is talking about. And, and Paul is no doubt thinking of a, a Roman triumphal procession. That's why I'm saying Ben-Hur, if you're familiar with that. If you're not familiar with that, let me try and describe this sort of Roman victory parade for you, because it's important that we get this right. And the first thing to note is that the successful, um, sort of the, the conquering general, if you like, in this victory parade, he would take centre stage. He would literally be in the middle of, of this procession, but he wouldn't be at the start of it. So if you can imagine this massive procession, the crowds are cheering, uh, this, this massive um, uh, uh, walkway, this massive road to sort of walk through. First would come, if you like, state officials. They would be at the start of this, this parade. Uh, then you'd have uh, musicians, some musicians playing. Uh, then you would have those who are carrying the, the sort of spoils of war, the bounty, the, all the stuff that they've, 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 <laughs> they've looted, they've got. And they would closely be followed, actually, by the people who had been defeated, sometimes in chains, maybe sometimes not, behind that, behind that bounty. Then you'd have more musicians. Next, you'd have priests swinging their incense burners. And then you would have, in the middle, the victorious general himself. He'd be in a chariot. The chariot, would, is, apparently, is, was normally sort of pulled by four horses. There he would be, center stage. And then he would be followed by his family. And then behind his family would be the conquering army. You've got the picture. It's quite a sight, isn't it? The noise, the number, the sheer scale of it, the smells. And the question is, where does Paul see himself and where does he see us fitting in that picture? Are we musicians? Are we officials? Are we the soldiers? Who are we? 
And we might conclude, if Jesus is the general, we must be those victorious soldiers marching on behind. Surely that's what Paul meant. But triumphant soldiers don't actually fit the thrust of of Paul's letter, really, when we think about what Paul is writing about this. You know, so remember, it's this, this theme throughout. It's about weakness. It's about struggle. It's about failures, isn't it? Not victorious soldiers. Some commentators suggest we're meant to identify with the captured prisoners. You know, we, we, are, we are those captive. Indeed, more modern NIV translations, if you've got one of those, um, translate this explicitly. They say, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal exp- uh, um, procession. Uh, if you're using one of the church Bibles, we've got an older translation of the, of the NIV, the 1984 NIV. That's not in there. But the more modern ones do, do put that in. Um, and certainly this makes sense of Paul un- Paul's understanding, doesn't it, of himself as Christ's slave. He uses that terminology quite a lot. And the strength and weakness motif that's pervading through the letter. But there are even a couple of problems with that, I think. And the first is that although the word captive could be implied... In, in, in that terminology. It's not actually explicit in the Greek. It's not there explicitly. And the second is that given, uh, even given Paul's strength through weakness theme, those captives in that Roman procession were normally about to be executed by the one leading the procession when it was all over. And so I don't think that Paul would have us uh, understand that, that Jesus was gathering us all together uh, just to ultimately go and, and, and execute us at the end. That's not, you know, it is a theme of death through life for us as Christians, but not ultimately. And so the key I would suggest is not to read this passage too deeply, actually. Read it in context. Read it in the immediate context. And it says, God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us does what? Spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Ah, fragrance. Ah, incense burners in the parade. That's the connection that we're supposed to make. This is who Paul, I think, would have us identify with. So here's the second main thing that I think we need to remember. We are the aroma of Christ to all. It is our role to, to spread the knowledge of God through the, through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus everywhere. So just like the incense burners spread their aroma over the spectators as they, as they march along, so our lives are supposed to spread the aroma of grace, spread the aroma of, of forgiveness, of mercy, and, and love through our weak, through our failing, and through our difficult lives. No one taking part, no one even spectating in a Roman victory parade could fail to smell that smell as the incense um, uh, 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 carriers did their thing and, 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 and wafted it all over the place. And so the question for us is this. Could anyone who comes into contact with our lives fail to smell the aroma of Christ on us? Through us? Actually, Paul develops the picture here. He says, not only are we the incense bear, uh, bearers, but we're also the smell itself. This is going on into verse 15. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. 
Did you know that as a Christian you smell? That's what Paul is saying. Not literally, of course. But whenever you speak, whenever you act, whenever you live out the gospel of Jesus faithfully, a fragrance is released. To some we are told it is the aroma of life and hope and grace and mercy and renewal and forgiveness and all those things. But to others, same smell, it is the suffocating stench of death, of legalism, of despair and rejection. Same smell, different reaction. Which is a challenge for us, isn't it? Because when we, when we get those different reactions, particularly when we get a negative response, we instinctively want to change our smell. We think we need to change something. We need to change the message. We need to change the gospel of the Lord Jesus somehow to make it more palatable. You know, let's get rid of a little bit of hell and judgment over there. And, and, and let's play down the sort of commitment levels over, over here. Let's, let's gloss over the sort of sexual ethics side of, uh, side of things here. And while we're, at, while we're at it, let's just tone down a little bit the exclusivity that, of the claims that Jesus made to be the only way, the truth and the life. And Paul's going to come on and address this actually uh, in, in chapter 4. We'll get to it in a few weeks' time. But for now, realise that if we change the gospel of Christ to make it more acceptable, we, we cease to be a pleasing aroma to God, to God himself. We are to God the aroma of Christ. It's our faithful behavior, it's it's our faithful message, those things that are pleasing to God. So, So when you are out there in the world, in the normal rub of things, when you are made uh, to feel silly, when you are made fun of, when you are rejected at work or in your family because you've shared the gospel, because of how you've lived, because of those decisions you've made, don't change anything. You smell good to God. As long as we live faithfully, as long as we live faithfully, we smell good, smell good to God. But that is quite a caveat, isn't it, for us? As long as we live faithfully. It's quite a caveat. Who can do that? Who among us here at St. John's is equipped and empowered to live faithfully? Paul asked the very same thing at the end, um, at the end of uh, verse uh, 16. He says this, And who is equal to the task, to such a task? This is third point in this section, I think. Who is equal to such a task? And if you sat there thinking, yeah, no one, rhetorical question, I'm answering it internally in the negative, no one is equal, certainly not me. If that's what you're thinking, then I'm afraid I've got bad news for you. Because you've got the wrong end of the stick. Paul's not looking for a negative answer here. He's looking for a positive one. Who is equal to such a task? We are. We are. Because, verse 17... He goes on, because unlike so many, we don't peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. In other words, we are equal to the task because we don't cheat. Far from it. In fact, our confidence comes from God himself. 
this is a fantastic verse. Now, there are four truths in this, in this verse alone um, that give Paul confidence to make such a claim. And if we can see them, if we see these four truths, I'm hoping that we can share Paul's confidence in, in, that, in them too. So uh, have a look. First, in, in verse, this is verse 17. What does Paul say? He speaks in Christ. On the contrary, in Christ, that is, he speaks in union with Jesus, in partnership with him, the exact same, the unchanged good news of Christ. He speaks in Christ. Second, he spoke before God. He spoke before God. In other words, God was the only audience to Paul that mattered. He spoke only mindful of what his heavenly father thought. And, and so Paul weighed his words with humility. He weighed his words with, with, with trembling, yes, but with no thought of his own praise. He was concerned about what his holy father thought. He was in Christ. He was before God. Third, he spoke with sincerity. He was honest. His motives, if you like, were pure. He behaved with integrity. In Christ, he was before God, he spoke with sincerity, and fourthly, he spoke as a man sent from God. (laughs) He knew his mission from Jesus. He knew his mission from Jesus, and he took it seriously. And so when we speak in Christ, when we we speak before God, when we speak with, with sincerity and integrity, and when we remember that we are sent from God, that is the God-given, Christ-centered confidence that we need to be equal to the task. Who is equal to the task, to such a task? We are, by God's grace and in his power. Nevertheless, nevertheless, Paul is not insensitive to how that can sound. Which is why we get to uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, he says this, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? It sounds as if Paul is preempting once again how his enemies are going to respond to what he's just written. And in effect, he's saying, look, no, I, I don't need to commend myself. I don't need to boast. I don't need a reference. Why don't I need a reference? Because I've got you. I've got you. Verse 2. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Thanks be to the God who leads us. We, we are the aroma of Christ to all. We're equal to the task. And finally, we're letters from Christ. We're letters from Christ. Paul is ramming home his point using another metaphor here, if you like. The Corinthian church are his letter of reference. And despite Paul's point here, that, that there's nothing wrong with, with letters of reference. Uh, in all sorts of contexts, they are important. They are a right part of the process, especially, say, when we think about getting a job or something like that. We, you know, we, we need these, these, these letters of reference. But in some contexts, they are superfluous. Some of you know that Debs and I used to live in Scotland, uh, in the far north of Scotland. And when, when we were there, we, we helped to plant a church. We lived and worked 
together with people in that church, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, uh, through many ups and, and many downs. And by God's grace, it is still going, that church. Um, and uh, we're still very much in touch with it. Got dear friends there. But imagine if they were to have a vacancy. And uh, they decided they wanted to call me to be their new minister. And they asked for a reference. And without wishing to sound uh, too big-headed, there would be a case for me to say, a, a reference? Uh, you, you knew me? You, you know me? Uh, we, you know, your very existence actually serves as a, as a reference to who I am, how much I care about you as a church. Uh, you know, you, you're aware of, of, of what I'm like. If you want a reference about me, kind of look in the mirror. That's quite a claim, wouldn't it be, if I, if I were to say that? They haven't got a vacancy, by the way, don't worry, or anything like that, but... This is exactly what Paul is doing here, though, to the Corinthians church. To the Corinthian church, he's saying, "Look in the mirror. You want a reference about me now? I was with you from the beginning. I was there. We went through these ups and downs. We, I saw you come to faith. The church was planted. And in fact, he extends this metaphor of letter and reference once more. He says that we are letters known and read by everybody." Furthermore, we are letters from Christ, known and read by everybody. So just like the smell of our lives is picked up by everyone, so the letter of our lives is read by everybody. Which leaves us with a question. As we write the letter of our lives, are we doing so faithfully with Christ and in his power before God. When people read the letter of your life, when people read the letter of our life together as St. John's, will they see Christ as the ultimate author and Savior? Is Jesus obvious? If he is, then do not fear the response. Negative or positive, because that is God's business, that response. Our call, as ever, is to faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, may thanks be to you who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Lord, would you help each one of us here to spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus. Father, we want to be equal to the task. We feel so often we are not. So help us to speak and act in Christ before you with sincerity, knowing that you have sent us Give us your confidence, we pray. Amen.